Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I'm your host, Brian, from BannersOnTheParkway.com, and I am joined, as always, he's back in the closet, folks. It's Brad. Brad, uh, how does it feel to be back home where you belong? Um, Pretty good, kind of tingly. Uh, I just chugged an energy drink, which is maybe not the best idea at 8.20 at night, but um, I've been up since what is usually the middle of the night for me or 8 a.m. for normal people. Uh, so I decided to hammer that. I'm regretting it a little bit. I can see sounds right now, but at the very least, this should be a high energy broadcast. I was going to say, you, uh, you're you you're bringing it. <laughs> I can tell, tell you that. Um, and we're also joined uh, by, by Brayden. Um, so he's still in his uh, Chick-fil-A uniform. Brayden, is it your pleasure to be on our podcast? It's my pleasure to be on the podcast. Uh, I can't say that what I was doing at work for the last four hours was my pleasure, but I was looking forward to this. So uh, I suppose it was worth it in the end. There you go, folks. So if nothing else, we have broken the news that when Chick-fil-A workers tell you it's their pleasure, they don't mean it. Um, So there you go. Um, News we're not breaking because, um, I mean, everybody has uh, has seen it now uh sean miller is going to be back at xavier uh at the start of next season after 12 seasons at arizona um this comes on the back of travis Steele and xavier um parting on mutual terms um and so miller uh, of course took xavier to the elite eight and sweet 16 in his final two years in 2008 and 2009 at xavier he made a tournament four times in five years, had some pretty good teams, um, turned turned some uh, what was kind of a mess when Thad Mana left into uh, the best mid-major program in the country at the time. And, of course, won't have that mid-major label uh, this time around at Xavier. But um, this is a, a move that, I mean, a lot of people like. Uh, I've seen a few people who don't like it for various reasons, um, and I can respect that. Um, but a lot, by and large, the response has been very positive. Brad, um, this is a move that earlier during the season you kind of went out of your way to talk about why it would not happen. Um, so first things first, uh, would you like to apologize to me and the fan base? uh for for raining on our parade there uh not you because i think you agreed with me but yeah i mean listen i i was wrong um i didn't think that xavier would take this chance and it is a chance um we still don't know what is going to happen regarding the fact that sean miller still has a level one uh failure of head coaching control i don't know if charge is the right word but violation against him from the ncaa um the uh, punishment for that can range anywhere from a season to two games. It depends on what kind of mood the NCAA is in. Um, I'd love to tell you that that was hyperbole, but it's just really hard to tell what might happen. For that reason, I did not think Xavier would bring Miller back. I didn't think that they could afford him. Um, There's rumor out there that he's being paid pretty handsomely to come back. Um, Obviously, we know that Xavier 
outbid or out bargained uh, South Carolina right at what was the end of a really bizarre stretch of he's been seen in a steakhouse. He's not in the steakhouse. He was walking on the deck at a steakhouse. Just some crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I got this one wrong. I didn't think that Sean Miller would be back. I'm happy that Sean Miller's back. I always liked Miller and could at least appreciate the way he left as opposed to Thad Matta, who I have nothing but contempt for. Um, I guess what we have to get into then are just the concerns about how he left Arizona and what might happen from that. Right. So um, Arizona uh, was assessed with nine allegations of school misconduct by the NCAA. Um, five of those were level one, but only one of those was directly tied to Sean Miller. Of course, uh, some of that was caught up with um, Book Richardson, who um, was involved in the, the FBI investigation. Um, but the resolution will come from the NCAA and IARP. Um, and that's probably going to happen this fall now. But if you look, I mean, it, it's not hard to look at what happened with Bruce Pearl and say, okay, it's a matter of games, not a matter of a season or anything. And we'll take that one on the chin in order to bring back Sean Miller. There's just no guarantee that that's what's going to happen. But um, the fact that Bruce Miller or Bruce, Bruce Pearl came off three year show cause then got caught <laughs> cheating again and only got two games is both ridiculous and uh, a good indicator for Xavier here. Um, so, Braden, I mean, what does this hire do for the fan base? You're you're a little younger, so um, maybe you weren't as as familiar with Miller's teams this, his first time around. I know you were you know, seven or eight when he left. But what does this do for the feeling around the program going forward? Uh, I think if you were on Twitter at all last weekend, you'll see what that did for the fan base. Because as Brad already pointed out, everybody was cracking the every move he was making or not making in some cases. But you've seen a lot of people uh, very happy to have him back, welcoming him back. And they all think that it's the right move, uh, considering the coach is available right now. Um, I'd be inclined to agree with him because his track record is very solid from when he was at X and then through with Arizona. Um, I mean, I that was the first like Xavier teams I paid attention to when I was growing up was with Sean Miller on the sideline, specifically 2008 and 2009. He had a couple really solid teams right there. So I think people are excited. Um, you can see a lot of the it's a lot of nostalgia bias, I think, um, with a lot of the things they're posting. But, hey, why not? It's basketball, um, you know, kind of reminding us of a time when X was good making deep runs in the tournament. And why wouldn't you want that back? Yeah, so, I mean, the one thing uh, I think is it was very hard. I mean, I I liked Travis Steele. I thought he had a lot of potential. And I thought uh, in a lot of ways he did a good job. Um, he came in when expectations were the highest they'd ever been. You know, we talked about um, Miller came in right after uh, Thad Mana had made the Elite Eight. And of course, Miller came in without Romain Sato, without Anthony Miles, without Lionel Chalmers um, off of that team. So he had kind of a rebuilding job to do. Um, but he was in the Atlantic 10. Steele came in off of one seed. In the Big East, there were a lot of uh, 
lights being shined on him there. But there's a real scenario in which, a uh, very real scenario in which, with Travis Steele, Xavier starts the season next year ranked, and there would be no real reason to trust that they would be able to keep that up because of the way the last two seasons have gone. I don't know how you guys feel, but, um, you know, say the team gets off to a great start in November again and is ranked in the top 15 again, you'd still have in the back of your mind, are we heading for another collapse? And I think with Miller, um, there's going to be a lot more confidence uh, that that the teams are going to be able to uh, sustain what they're doing through the end of the year. I mean, obviously, um, especially in his last two years at Xavier, he had his teams playing their best uh, by the end of the season. Um, so looking forward to next year, um, Brad, I mean, who's it most important for Miller to retain? Because uh, he comes in, obviously, Nate Johnson's not going to be back. Paul, Paul Scruggs is not going to be back. Um, who's, it, who's it most important for Miller to retain? from the players and uh, the coaching staff that's currently at X? Um, coaching staff is a tough one. We'll get to that. But I think the most important player to convince to come back is Jack Nungy. Um, whether Nungy even wants to come back, this would be essentially a sixth year in school for him. Uh, whether he's interested in continuing to play or whether he's interested in continuing to play at Xavier are kind of two different questions. But Nungy is by far the player on this roster that you need back if if you say he's going to graduate and move on to his his post-grad life then I think you probably need to look at Colby Jones I'm a kind of jack of all trades guy that you could put pretty much wherever uh, and those got to be your top two but Nunji's the key here if you can get him back that's the kind of building block you can put a team around as far as keeping coaches it might be a long shot but I think you got to try to keep Jonas Hayes um he's demonstrated he can energize the team um, he has lots of really good food analogies, uh, which I think is helpful to resonate with the every man. Um, and more importantly than that, he's a great recruiter in a place where Xavier doesn't necessarily always recruit. Um, I think he's your number one guy. The sentimental choice there is obviously Dante Jackson. Uh, Dante played for Sean Miller. A lot of people have said that he'll definitely be sticking around. Um, I don't think that's a sure thing. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of people come from Arizona, though not Book Richardson. Um, even though he is out of prison, I don't believe he'll be coaching anytime soon. Well, no, his show cause isn't over. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, Brayden. I mean, is, is there somebody else you you would think he needs to really key in on? Well, I was honestly just caught off guard that Brad didn't bring up Adam Kunkel. To be honest with you, so. Um, uh, let me gather myself for a second and tell you why, uh, what I think Brad would have said about Adam Kunkel, uh, which is that as we've seen the last couple games, especially that Vanderbilt game, he showed really just how deep his offensive bag is. Um, and even when he's not hitting, he is all energy all the time on the court. I think that no matter who your coach is, that's a guy you're really going to want to keep around. Um, if you can, again, you know, he's been like Nunji, he's been in college for a while now. But if you can get him to stick around for that extra year, uh, you um, it do nothing but wonders for the team, I think. Uh, I liked where Brad was going with Colby Jones. I think that's a guy he, you know, he didn't really explode the way we thought he would this year. I think with, uh, with Miller in, he brings that, <laughs> it's an overused term, but he brings a lot of toughness to his teams. 
I think uh, that kind of coaching style matched with Colby Jones' uh, athleticism and his just uh, natural abilities, we'll really see him take that next step up next year. Um, so I think retaining him, uh, like the sky is the limit for him uh, if you can get him to stick around. Um, as far as coaching, Brad pretty much hit it. I'd just love to see Dante over on the sidelines. Uh, for, for nostalgia reasons, I think that's the biggest one you need to keep around. Yeah, I actually, um, I think Dewan Odom would fit very well into a Sean Miller team. Um, obviously, when Miller was at Xavier, Xavier's point guards were usually guys who could really shoot. Um, and Dewan Odom uh, is two for six from three. And that's all the comment I'm going to make on Dewan Odom's three-point shooting. Um, no, I mean, you had Drew Lavender, you had two Holloway. Um, those were guys who who could knock down shots from outside, and that's not really part of Dewan's game. But he's got that toughness. He plays with a chip on his shoulder, and he, he really has a lot of, I think, um, physical tools that would fit very well into a Sean Miller team. So I think he would be someone to keep an eye on as well. Um, Braden, I mean, we can't just say the whole roster, man. Say no, Kiki. I, I'm thinking outside. I'd love to see Kiki Tandy come back for a senior year and explode. But uh, I th- I'm thinking a little more outside the box here, which is that um, Derek Brown still had a year of eligibility left when Sean Miller left for Arizona. So I think you maybe just float the idea out there, have him come back for a senior year, and we watch him dunk on some fools. He played pro, can't come back. Uh, Shut up. We've he's already broken the rules once. Let's do it again. <laughs> right. Be like, hey, you still haven't punished me for last time. I feel like I'm pretty good about this one. Um <laughs> Okay, so uh speaking of of looking forward, um in the wake of the news that Sean Miller was uh rehired at Xavier Tyrell Ward who was Xavier's uh top recruit coming in on next year's class uh reopened his recruitment um he said Xavier is definitely still an option but um with the coaching change it, it's not really that uncommon to see a player reopen his recruitment and um see who else he hears from uh there's no word from Cam Craft or Desmond Claude yet which is not to say that they won't follow suit but they haven't at this point they also haven't been like yeah Xavier I'm definitely going so um that's kind of where it is as far as recruitment so Tyrell Ward um has been released from his his letter of intent um although Sean Miller uh probably is going to make it a priority to try and bring him back into the fold uh the other thing to talk about uh moving forward uh is Paul Scruggs career at Xavier um, as a player, at least, is over. Um, he does seem like the kind of guy, though, that would be back in some other some other capacity in years to come. Um, but he tore his ACL during Xavier's NIT game against Florida and um, is actually delaying surgery on that, from what I heard, uh, in order to travel with the team to the NIT Final Four in uh, in Madison Square Garden. So obviously that is a blow for Xavier this year. Um, but the main thing is it just sucks to see Paul Scruggs Xavier career uh, end like that. Um, you know, he's a guy who stuck around five years, has meant a lot to the team, um, took a lot on his shoulders during the last few years in some tough circumstances. And um, 
did not get to, you know, walk off the court a winner the last time. So, uh, well, I guess he, Xavier did win the game. So maybe he did. I don't know. But, you know, to see it end in injury is uh, is tough one to take. But Xavier is still playing. Um, they're on to the NIT semifinals this week. They they beat Florida um, fairly uh, fairly easily, 72-56. That was a game that was back and forth for quite a while. And then Xavier really clamped down the defense in the second half and were able to outlast the Gators. Um, then on Tuesday night, they took on Vanderbilt. That was a game Xavier trailed by nine with six minutes left. Were able to come back and win that one 75-73. Um, so what did we, I mean, what did we see out of Xavier in those two games, Braden? You saw them play well, which was a, a welcome change. Um, I was obviously at your house for the Florida game. Um, and the second half, like you said, they really closed it out. I mean, Florida really couldn't get that much going and X pulled away like the better team. Um, obviously wasn't great, uh, having to see Paul Scruggs go off. Um, but then the Vanderbilt game, uh, could have, I mean, they were nearly dead and buried with six minutes left and then they fought back into it. Um, you got to see, uh, Kunkel show off some of his, uh, offensive ability. Fremantle came off the bench and had a pretty solid shooting night. Um, so it was just good to see that even though, uh, it didn't, we didn't end up going to the big dance like we wanted to, uh, you got to see the team still buy in. They still want to play together. They still want to win. And I mean, honestly, in the NIT, that's, I personally think that's all you can really hope for. Cause I mean, this wasn't their goal at the start of the year, but they still went out and they gave it their best shot anyway. Yeah. yeah I, think I was on scene for that uh, Cleveland state game. And you want to talk about just a sea change in the way people have been looking at that, watching them warm up for Cleveland state. Joel and I were standing there and he goes, man, this team might lose tonight because they just didn't look uh, like Braden said, like they still wanted to be playing. And then these next two games and everybody's going to draw the very obvious conclusion here, but these next two games, they have really looked plugged in and uh, ready to go grabbing a couple big Q2 wins here. Um, I think they've really put together a good resume now uh, that it's too late, uh, but it, the team has really looked energized an interesting thing by the way is that these wins will count towards travis Steele's total uh so now he's travis Steele, 21 wins xavier coach there we go um yeah so i mean one of the things that i think probably has also changed since the cleveland state game is that the fan base um it seems to be a little more energized. So we put out uh, a poll on Twitter because that's, I mean, that's science. You just take a poll on Twitter and that tells you everything you need to know. Um, that's how I named all my kids. Um, anyway, so we put out a poll on Twitter if the fan base is emotionally invested. Now, Brad, I think you have that pulled up. And uh, what are the results? Yeah, just asking if people are emotionally invested in Xavier's NIT run. And honestly, I was surprised to see 76.3% of people uh, have said that they are. Um, I guarantee you, if I put this out the day of the Cleveland State game, that that's not what it would have said. But, you know, it's, it's hard not to feel it in the fan base and the team. There is some 
excitement back on Victory Parkway that has maybe been missing. Really trying not to lean into any sort of steel bashing, but uh, something has definitively changed, and this team really looks good. And I think the fact that they're still out there competing hard and uh, representing the jersey well has resonated with a fan base that honestly has always been drawn to tough and gritty underdog play. Um, and I think that even though it's the NIT, that's got people uh, wanting to watch it. I mean, I, I was excited watching that Vanderbilt game. I got all caught up in the end of it and then realized that, you know, it's 1130 at night on a Tuesday in the middle of March. I mean, this is not prime college basketball time, but it, I was I was excited. Twitter was excited. A really good crowd at the Cintas on Tuesday. Um, people are plugged in for this NIT run. Yeah, um, you know, and, and you can see how much it means to the players. Obviously, with Scruggs going down, they all went out and, and warmed up in his jerseys. And um, Juan Odom was wearing either that airbrushed T-shirt Paul Scruggs' mom wears or a replica of it. Um, but uh, you can see that that game really meant something to those players. And um, it was it was great to see them pull out the win. Um, but the NIT is not the only tournament going on right now. Um, there's there's also the NCAA tournament. So this this past weekend was the first weekend. Um, and so just right off the bat, Braden, what was the best game of the first weekend? Well, since you're kicking it to me first, I'm taking the obvious answer and saying St. Peter's over Kentucky for a few reasons. One, it is always hilarious to watch Kentucky lose. And uh, I don't think that's ever, ever going to change. And also, St. Peter's, ah, oh my gosh, like, they they just are Doug Eddard to everyone at this point. I mean, that dude's already got his name uh, in March Madness folklore. He averages like eight points a game, and he went for 20, including two really big threes late in that game against Kentucky. Um, and it's just crazy to me that, uh, you know, 15 over two, it's only happened, I believe, 10 times now. And then St. Peter's makes the sweet 16 and that's the third time that's happened. It's been back to back years now, but it's, that was just a very fun game to watch. I was getting home from work uh, around this time last week uh, to watch the last like five minutes and overtime of that game. And as soon as it went to OT, I was like, dang, they, they're, they're just not going to do it. Like Shibwe is going to go off in OT and it's just going to be over. And then it wasn't. And I was uh, absolutely taken back by that, but also very excited. And what's interesting is that that guy's getting all of the attention. Um, and I think I saw today that he signed an NIL with uh, BW3. Yes, yeah, which, is, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, he's not really like their big gun. Um, obviously, he had, that game, he had that game against Kentucky, but I, you know, they've got there's a lot of dudes on this team that get out there and can really ball, including two guys who dress alike and aren't brothers. And then two guys who are brothers and don't dress or look anything alike. So it's really just a confusing thing they've got going on there. But man, Eddard with that mustache, which desperately needs shaved. And I mean, he's going to be one of those guys like Harold, the show Arsenault that anybody who watches March Madness knows down through the years. Heck yeah. Love me some, love me some Harold Arsenal. Mostly because he beat North Carolina, and I don't like them. Um, 
but yeah, Brad, I mean, what was, uh, what was the best game in your opinion that first weekend? Um, well, there were a lot of good ones I felt like, but one that I enjoyed right up until the way it ended was the Chattanooga Illinois game. Um, cause I frankly didn't think Chattanooga had a chance in that one. That was one that I picked without doing even an iota of Ken Palm researching. Um, man, Chattanooga had the ball and had that last shot just rim out, but that was a really good back and forth game right down to the end. Um, I thought UCLA Akron was a good game, which also shocked me. And I tried not to get emotionally invested because I was afraid my zips couldn't do it. And then of course I got myself really sucked in and then they didn't do it. So um, I, I really set myself up for a disappointment there and then followed through by being disappointed. But even having named two games, Brian, I know I'm leaving other good ones that you're going to mention that were also fun to watch. Yeah, for me, I, I think the best game in terms of just the best played game was Gonzaga-Memphis. Um, that was the game where Memphis had a 12-point lead in the second half. Uh, they were up 10 at halftime. I mean, it looked like they were going to they were going to fulfill the potential that everybody saw on that team at the start of the year. Um, and then Gonzaga did. Um, what Gonzaga does, which is win. Um, and, but I mean, it was up and down. It was really high quality basketball. It was entertaining stuff. Um, honestly, um, I don't particularly care for either of those teams, but that was a great game. Um, and it gave us what I think is, is, uh, one of the best clips I've seen so far, which was when Drew Timmy, uh, was in the post game interview and he was like, yeah, we went into the locker room and we were like, we're not going out like no soft guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could see him like look into the camera and be like, am I going to say this in front of the country? And then no, because he for sure did not say soft guys <laughs> in the locker room. Um, so who was the biggest surprise this weekend? Um, obviously other than the Peacocks. And um, who did you guys think was the biggest flop? Brad, go ahead. Uh, biggest surprise for me, uh, it's got to be Miami. Good team. I didn't think that they were a great team, and I'm not necessarily saying they are now, but Jim Laranega is a great coach. Um, the future Xavier head coach, Jim Laranega. I don't know if we're still doing that. I got so caught up in it. I'm um, also Charlie Moore is a lot of fun to watch. I didn't think that Miami... Um, was going to be able to go as far as they have. They played a really good game in the first round against USC and just snuck past that one. Uh, and then they hammered Auburn uh, in a game that was never even close. Uh, it, you know, I know you don't like Bruce, Bruce Pearl, Bry, and that game had to have been enjoyable for you to watch because Auburn never mounted a rally, never did anything. Miami and those three guards they have just really – hammered them um you ruled out picking kentucky as the biggest flop which i think is fair because that's what we all would have picked i think iowa has to be the biggest flop uh they got a richmond team that would had no chance of making the tournament if they didn't win their auto bid um which they did but richmond was not good this year um they proved that they were not good in their next game after iowa but iowa just couldn't get anything going um they were kind of a sleeper final four pick for a lot of people that was one, of, I think, possibly the biggest upset, again, excluding St. Peter's in Kentucky, of the first round. Because Richmond really had no business being in that game and beat Iowa 
big, big letdown for Iowa. And they are just, they are always a bunch of soft guys. They probably went in the locker room and said, we are about to go out like some soft guys because that's what they do. Um, you'd think big Iowa farm boys wouldn't be like that. And I know that they don't all have to come from Iowa, but I, just a butter soft team. And then Richmond, to demonstrate that they had no business being there, got crushed by Providence. Um, so, yeah, I was I was the biggest flop for me, and I think Miami was the biggest surprise. And Miami uh, has stood themselves in good stead to have a shot at the Final Four. Okay, Braden, uh, same question. Um, well, I'm actually picking one, uh, the team, oh, uh, excuse me, Miami is matched up with, uh, Iowa State, um, because they – started off red hot this year and then they fell way way off but unlike xavier they had stockpiled enough of a solid resume to make it to the tournament i didn't think they were going to make it out of the first round i'll admit but then they beat lsu um tyrese hunter hit that ridiculously deep three uh to kind of bury that one late and then hilariously beat wisconsin in the second round um I was watching that game as it was happening, and I really, uh, once again, enjoyed watching others' misfortune. Brad Davison in particular, I'm glad he didn't make the Sweet 16. I uh, don't know what that says about me, and I don't really care. But uh, yeah, Iowa State, really, they had fallen off towards the end of the year, and then uh, they've just been able to grind out a couple wins here uh, in the first weekend. So that was my, uh, that was kind of my surprise from the first weekend. Uh, and then, as far as flops goes, I really hated watching this one, but Tennessee, um, I thought I picked them into my final four. Uh, I like uh, Rick Barnes teams. Uh, their defense was really solid. I thought they had enough offense to really get them over the hump. They were hot coming in and then just tragically lost to Michigan in the second round. Uh, watching uh, Kennedy Chandler crying on the sidelines, uh, Kind of, kind of moved me to tears a little bit. Uh, he just looked, it just looked so disappointed, and I had nothing against him. Uh, I thought he was a really fun player to watch, but uh, that was the that was my big flop. Uh, it was very disappointing. Yeah, that was a rough one. Um, and the moment people made fun of John Howard for giving him a hug in the handshake line because of John Howard's recent history with handshake lines. I thought it was a really nice moment, though, um, for him to take the time to talk to Chandler and, and comfort him. Um, biggest surprise, I, I, it has to be Iowa State. Um, I think it's crazy if you're giving Coach of the Year awards out to anyone but T.J. Altsberger, who took over a two-win program and has them in the Sweet 16 now. Um, to me, it's nuts to say anybody else has done a better job than that this year. And they're, they're slight favorites against Miami to make it to the Elite Eight. That's going to be a fun game to watch. Um, and it's also probably going to make me sad that one of those guys has to lose. But, um, yeah, Iowa State, I mean, they struggled in Big 12 play. What's interesting is that they still are undefeated outside of Big 12 play this year. Um, they still have not lost a game to anyone outside of the Big 12. And so if they beat Miami, there's a chance that they'll meet Kansas in the Elite Eight, um, which does not bode well for them. 
So anyway, I think the biggest flop, though, has to be uh, Auburn, uh, to be honest. He, uh, he, they had a pretty easy pod there. Um, we talked about why that fact that Miami was a big surprise. There's a reason they were a big surprise is because uh, they really were pretty inconsistent this year. They came into the tournament ranked 61st in Ken Palm. I mean, this wasn't a team that you looked at on that 10 line and said, wow, that's a team that can win two games. Um, but Auburn just came out and played butter soft. Um, and then I thought it was tasteless when they said they self-imposed a Sweet 16 ban um, because they felt bad about not punishing Bruce Pearl. So <laughs> that was lame. No. Um, is that more or less tasteless than people saying Juwan <laughs> Howard punched a ticket to the Sweet 16? <laughs> <laughs> more. Um, anyway, yeah. But, I mean, it was set up very easily for Auburn. Um, but, I mean, they once once they got ranked number one, they were like, well, that's it. We're number one. Season's over. And they tanked hard. So, since I can't say Kentucky, I'm going to say Auburn was the biggest flop. Um so what th- team then watching this first weekend that you didn't think had what it took to make the final four, do you think has to what it takes to make the final four now? Brayden, go ahead. Say Obviously, it's the Providence. No, it's not. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I-, I think it's still up in the air, though, if Ed Cooley is indeed a good coach. Just going to put that out there. Um But, I mean, Brad already kind of alluded to it, and I'm going to go with it because I've been on that Charlie Moore bandwagon for uh, a few years at this point. Uh, I think Miami, uh, they're they're hot right now. Uh, Iowa State's obviously going to be a tough game, but I think uh, Miami's been playing uh, just a little bit better recently. Obviously, they boat raced Auburn, who, as you've said, was butter soft in that game. Iowa State's not going to be that way, but I think – Charlie Moore uh, is going to have enough to get him over the line there. And I I mean, stacking up across from them would be either Kansas or Providence. And if Providence can somehow ride their luck to one more win, uh, I'd just love to see Charlie Moore uh, just dash Ed Cooley's hopes one last time. Uh, I don't even think he ever beat Providence when he was at DePaul, but Hey, it'd be a nice little full circle story right there. I think both of mine come across the bracket uh, in the East and either North Carolina or Purdue. Um, I didn't rate, I didn't rate North Carolina coming into this tournament. I certainly didn't expect them to be up 25 on Baylor. Um, but what I think was more impressive is that they blew the lead and then rallied and still won the game with a lot of help from the referees. Um, in what was just a, a tragically officiated game. Um, I also didn't expect Purdue's defense to hold up against much of anybody, but now they have St. Peter's and St. Peter's offense is not very good. Um, So basically Purdue just has to do what Purdue does, which is score at a ludicrous rate uh, and hope that their defense is good enough to, to beat a team that's still sub 200 in offense. Um, I still have UCLA coming out of there, but I think that North Carolina and Purdue have both put themselves in a better position than I was expecting. And like Braden, I Providence could win the national championship and I would still be waiting for them to somehow lose a close game. Okay. Just to uh, fact check a little bit. 
Uh, Charlie Moore actually won 10 Palm MVP in the Big East tournament last year when DePaul upset Providence. Um, he uh, went for a cool 21 and seven. How did Charlie Moore get seven rebounds? Providence gave up an offensive rebound to Charlie Moore. You should kick him out of the tournament just for that. Anyway, um, so Charlie Moore has beaten Providence once. I don't think he's going to face them again because I think Kansas is going to have too much for Providence. Um, is Christian Brown Kansas' best player, Braden? <laughs> ah. Could very well be. Anyway, for me, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think it's Villanova. Um, they really did not struggle to get out of the first week. I mean, Ohio State lost by 10, and people will point at that and say, oh, it was a close game. It wasn't. I mean, there was no point watching that game where I was like, Ohio State might pull this off. Villanova had them at an arm's length the entire time. They just look like they're in that Villanova going to cruise all the way to the Final Four without ever looking like it's particularly straining us to do so mode. Um, and I hate it. So that's my that's my take. I do think uh, if Jaime Jaquez can't go for UCLA, that kind of opens it up for Purdue, in my opinion. But um, I think Jaime Jaquez is going to give it a go. He's a tough kid, tough kid. Um, so anyway, what was the biggest highlight reel play? You know, obviously there are plays from March Madness's past, some of them, are like in huge games, like the Chris Jenkins shot or the Jalen Suggs shot. Um, I really liked in 96 when Darvin Ham dunked so hard it broke the backboard. I remember that play vividly. Um, and that was not in a consequential game. I mean, they're all consequential in Mark Madness, but you know what I'm saying. So, Brad, what was the biggest highlight reel play from the first weekend? A uh, single play, I'm going to go with uh, maybe just because of the emotional pain inflicted on me was Tiger Campbell's three-pointer to put uh, Akron away. Um, UCLA was up 52-51 with like a minute 15 left, and he pulled up like from logo range and just stroked a three. Um, I like Tiger Campbell's game. Uh, he's really learned how to shoot the ball well. Um, and despite what his hair would seem to suggest, he's kind of just a quiet, competent player. Um, and that shot, I mean, was just huge. Uh, that was a game that Akron was hanging around in, would have been an enormous upset, one of, by the odds anyway, the biggest upsets of the first round. Um, and with time ticking down on the shot clock and nothing appearing to be on, he just pulled up and killed the game off. And uh, for me, that that's the one that's going to stick with me. Not really a play, though, but I think Drew Timmy's second half against Memphis, especially the start of it, Memphis looked like they'd never seen a dude who played ball like that before. And he just went off. Um, I don't particularly care for him, but it was quite an effort to get Gonzaga back over the hump in that game. All right, Braden, highlight reel. Good. Highlight reel play uh, for me, it'd be in the Miami versus Auburn game when Isaiah Wong uh, threw down that dunk in the first half through Jabari Smith. Um, I mean, at this point, the game, it's still a four point game, couple minutes to go in the first half. Uh, but I think this, 
more or less set the tone for how the rest of it was going to go with Miami just punking them the rest of the way. I mean, he just split the double team. Smith decided he was going to try a chase down block, and Isaiah Wong didn't really seem to care and just punched it all over him. Uh, really loved watching that. Loved seeing Auburn lose. Uh, but that that dunk was just nasty. Yeah, I think for me, it was the biggest highlight from that tournament that weekend, which I played back in my head every time I closed my eyes since I saw it, was Brad Davison airballing his final career shot uh, in a walk <laughs> to ensure that Brad Davison never goes to the Sweet 16. He played five years of college basketball, never made it out of the first weekend. <laughs> Unreal. Anyway, Speaking of people I mean, trying to have highlight moments right now, J.D. Note in the game that's occurring as we speak has now scored 20 points on 27 shots for Arkansas. Uh, he's taken 27 <laughs> of Arkansas's 68. So never up, never in for old J.T. J.D. J.D. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the one of the themes was refereeing to the point where like CBS was writing articles about how bad the refereeing was. Um, I thought it really affected mostly that most egregiously the Arizona TCU game um, oh. because that's a whistle one way or the other. Either you're saying Mike Miles was not fouled, which means you have no understanding of basketball's rules. Um, but if he wasn't fouled, he committed an over and back. And if you have, you know, two working eyes and a functioning understanding of how basketball's played, then he was fouled. Um, but to not call anything there, uh, I mean, that was negligent to the point of it being comical, um, where, I mean, just the incompetence. Um, obviously, our boy Brian O'Connell got got his name on some headlines when he teed up a player for Illinois um, for hanging on the rim. Obviously, the kid should have just Launched himself straight into the stanchion, broken a leg, um, because you can't disrespect Brian O'Connell like that by not injuring yourself. So think about it before you score a basket next time. Guy from Illinois, who do you think you are? You're not Brian O'Connell. Um, anyway, in college basketball general news, the coaching carousel has started spinning. Um, so... Uh, just rate these on a scale of one to ten. I'm just kidding. Uh, Kevin Willard has left Seton Hall to go to Maryland. Uh, the rumor is that Seton Hall is going to go for Shaheen Holloway, um, obviously, because how could they not at this point? Um, and the interesting thing is that Shaheen Holloway has won more NCAA tournament games in his career than Kevin Willard. So that is a, a factoid. Um, but he was there for 12 years. Um this is probably the most pertinent one to Xavier and is now heading to Maryland where Mark Turgeon couldn't win him enough tournament games. So that's a weird one for me. I don't Is that one weird to you guys? It, it doesn't strike me as being an upward move for Willard. I mean, clearly he's going to be getting more money, but Maryland's not a better basketball program than Seton Hall is. Uh, it, this is literally just a money talks move. Um, I would have liked him to stay at Seton Hall. I think he's a good coach. I think Maryland's probably a better basketball program than Seton Hall. But if you look at 
where Maryland sits as far as the Big Ten. When you think of the Big Ten's premier basketball programs, you go a lot further down the list to find Maryland than you do down the list of the Big East to find Seton Hall. Um, I don't know. He's going to get paid better. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, what is for sure is that he's going to clean up recruiting the D.C. area because who would want to play at Georgetown right now? So um, Todd Golden has left San Francisco to go to Florida. Um, so Florida, who Xavier knocked out of the NIT, has a new coach. Dennis Gates, who Xavier knocked out of the NIT, is moving to Missouri. Um, Lamont Paris is leaving Chattanooga to go to South Carolina because they couldn't get Sean Miller. Jerome Tang is an assistant at Baylor. He's going to K-State. Kenny Payne is replacing Chris Mack at Louisville. Matt McMahon uh, is leaving Murray State for LSU to pick up the pieces of that program because they're about to get smacked. Uh, Chris Jans is leaving New Mexico State. Go to Mississippi State. What's interesting is to see where Coach Steele might land here. Um, there's been rumor he might be heading to Miami of Ohio. Um, rumor maybe he's going to George Washington. It'll be interesting to see where that plays out. Um, George Washington's also supposed to be interested in Mike Pegues. So who knows? I guess they've locked it in. They're going to hire a former uh, former Chris Mack assistant. Anyway, final, final question here. Um, since Xavier's bringing back Sean Miller, uh, if you could bring back one player in his prime to one of your favorite sports teams, who would it be, Brad? Go. Um, my first one that I thought of was the one that you're going to take. So I'm really struggling with it. this. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Um, I can tell you one player in his prime I'd like to take off of one of my favorite sports teams, and that's Deshaun Watson, but that's not exactly the question that you asked, um, though I very much would well, like that to happen. Um, then unless you back Bernie in his prime because he's better. Uh, you know what? Let's let's do that because that kind of kills two birds with one stone. I liked Bernie Kosar; had his posters on my wall growing up. Um, really, an idol to any slightly undersized white guys who also weren't very athletic um, with his laser rocket arm. And also, I would the Deshaun Watson thing is just extremely distasteful for me and is making me question my Cleveland Browns fanhood, but that is probably a different podcast, but you know what, Brian, I'll do that. I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see Bernie Kosar chucking it to Amari Cooper. That'd be fun. You know, who else I think would like that is Amari Cooper <laughs> because Bernie's Bernie's passes were catchable, uh, almost to a fault. <laughs> um, anyway, Brayden, who you got? Ugh. I'm going with, uh, I believe would have been your second pick, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, Grady Sizemore. Uh, oh, you even... son of a... That's got to be his first pick, off... man. Get off the podcast. Uh, I, see, I thought this was going to be your number two. I clearly misread the room, and that's on me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> for, uh, for a few years in the early 2000s, Grady was that guy for the tribe. Uh, Bri, obviously, you know that cause you were about to gush about him for a second. Uh, but he had three straight all-star appearances. Um, I mean, realistically, if he stays healthy, he could have been MVP. He could have been everything. We might've actually been relevant for a while. Uh, but it was sad to see his career, uh, be riddled with knee problems and basically every injury known to man, uh, before he could really hit his full potential. 
whatever. I don't want to do the question anymore. <laughs> Fine. You know what? Here's the thing. The Indians outfield is garbage. Guardians outfield is garbage. And everybody knows it, including the people who are paid to make it not garbage. They just don't care. Um, Reds fans, we we feel solidarity with you guys. Um, we don't like you, but we feel your pain. So anyway, um, so I'm going to say Tris Speaker because he also, <laughs> honestly, Tris Speaker now, I'd probably rather see in center field for the Guardians than than Bradley Zimmer. Um, but the dude hit triples. Um all-time major league leader in career triples. Um, and the first time the Cleveland baseball franchise won a World Series, it was 1920. Tris Speaker was their center fielder. He's league MVP, and he was their manager. So let's just bring him back. Let's do it. Bringing him all the way back. 102 years later, uh, Tris Speaker redemption tour. So uh, the Gray Eagle flies again. Um, since Braden ruined it. Gosh dang it, Braden. Brad, if you could bring one of your brothers onto this podcast, his <laughs> name is Joel, which one of us would you replace? <laughs> so, slightly different tack. I went and looked at the reason why I think Seton Hall is better basketball program than Maryland, and I was disturbed to find out it's because I'm old. Uh so that was a bit shocking. I just was remembering Seton Hall from what I thought was not that long ago, but turns out it was the early 90s. <laughs> so, um, yeah, actually 1989, they were in the national championship, the Elite Eight in 91. So I'm like, oh, Seton Hall still super relevant and super good. But it turns out that was 30 some years ago and I'm old. So kind of like you mentioned with Jerry Stackhouse coaching Scottie Pippen Jr., I guess my youth has passed. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I found that out last week when I Kirk said my leg dunking on Joel's kid. Um, but <laughs> I may never walk again, but Titus, if you're listening to this, it was worth it. So anyway, <laughs> uh, that's all. <laughs> that's all the, the time we have. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Obviously, Xavier is headed to the final four of the NIT, so we will continue to bring coverage of that on our website and on Twitter, and we will be back on the podcast to wrap up the season as Xavier uh, tries to bring home a championship.